CST is a place of caring. Hi, I am Jella. Ever since my siblings and I came here in 2015, we have felt love. We can see how all the aunties and uncles are making sure we're safe and cared for. 75 to 100 abandoned, abused, orphaned, and neglected children find refuge here at CSC. We provide shelter, food, medicine, education, counseling, and love. The safety of our children is the highest priority. Inside these walls, we have caregivers, nurses, teachers, social workers, cooks, and many more of our employees who have committed to stay and care for the children. Today, on the edge of adventure, we head to the Philippines and the children's shelter of Cebu, where they've worked for more than 40 years, caring for more than 1,000 children, helping to place more than 600 of these precious kids into families that love them. My guest, Roberto Atienza, joins us now, and I hope you will too, as together we go beyond status quo. This is where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Edge of Adventure podcast. My name is Adam Asher. Great to have you with us. Always great to have you with us as we talk to these great organizations, great people doing wonderful, amazing things around the world. And today we're going to travel to the Philippines, actually, and get to know Roberto Atienza, who's uh, actually right now in the Philippines in Cebu. Right, Roberto? That's correct. Hello. So great to have you on the show. First of all, thanks for taking Thank the time. You. Welcome. But I know I get to always think on behalf of the audience. I get there listening. The first question that they're going to have is, where is Cebu? <laughs> well, Cebu uh, is in the Philippines. It gets, that's, that's pretty obvious. But we're kind of in the middle. So there are three regions in the Philippines, Luzon in the north, the Visayas region in the middle, and Mindanao in the south. And Cebu is is right in that central Visayas region. So it's the second biggest uh, city in the country after Manila. You are the field director at the Children's Shelter of Cebu and also the Cebu Children of Hope School. Help us understand what the shelter, the Children's Shelter of Cebu does, and then also the school, the, the different roles of the two. Sure. I mean, in, in a nutshell, what we seek to do is provide holistic care to homeless children in the Philippines. And, you know, unfortunately, there are quite a few homeless children, quite a few homeless and struggling folks here in the Philippines. So that's what we seek to do. And by holistic care, we mean uh, not just providing for their physical needs, but also their emotional, spiritual needs. So we try to give them all of the, the counseling and medical care that they need. Most of the children that come to us uh, have never felt love. They've never been cared for by an adult. They haven't been to school. And so speaking of the school, the Cebu Children of Hope School, that's a special school that, that we had started about 20 years ago. And it's, it's only for children that go to our shelter because, as I mentioned, the children that come to us have, have not been attending school. So what we had found over the years was, was that it was just very difficult to um, 
to kind of get them caught up in a regular kind of public school or even a private school setting here. So the Cebu Children of Hope School seeks to meet uh, our kids at their point of need and help them get caught up academically to their same aged uh, or similarly aged peers. Uh, so that's that's what we do. The, the children that we take in uh, are usually between zero to 12 years of age. Most of them have been living on the streets, orphans, neglected, abandoned, um, surrendered children as well. And that's what we do. That's what we, we pray we could do every day. To put it into context, tell us about Cebu, the culture. What is life like in Cebu? Yeah, Cebu is, uh, I mean, they sometimes refer to it as the Queen City of the South. So just to provide some quick historical context, when the Spaniards started colonizing the Philippines, because the Philippines is in Southeast Asia, as you know, but we were a Spanish colony for hundreds of years. Uh, There was a period of time where the Philippines was under American rule as well. Uh, But it's always been kind of situated at a crossroads between East and West, kind of the, the gateway to the rest of Asia for countries in the West. So Cebu is very much shaped by that. It's a mishmash of kind of East and West cultures, which is kind of what Filipino culture in general is in many ways. Um, for example, my name is Roberto Atienza, which is a very you know Spanish sounding name, even though I was born and, and live here in, in Asia. So um, unfortunately, what comes with that, uh, so a lot of people say that Cebu is kind of like a perfect illustration or a wonderful microcosm of the world in general. Uh, there is tremendous poverty here. Um, there's also tremendous wealth, um, though most of the wealth is from foreign investments and, and foreigners that are living here in Cebu. There is a lot of, uh, there's a huge kind of uh, wealth disparity and unfortunately, what, what comes with a lot of that are, are folks that are living in very dangerous situations. There is a lot of drug use. There's a lot of violence. So there are a lot of children that are just kind of left alone on the streets. And that's why this ministry began. That's why we started Children's Shelter of Cebu uh, over 40 years ago. It was founded by two individuals, Paul and Marlis Healy, who are from Minnesota. Long story short, Marlis had visited with her father and just fell in love with the place, but was heartbroken by the number of just homeless children around the city. Eventually, that gave way to the Children's Shelter of Cebu. And uh, yeah, we've been seeking to just help children and families ever since. You know, we, we take in children. We are placement focused. We believe that every child deserves a family. So Essentially, what that means is we're not really focused on long-term care. When we take in children, we we do the best to provide a loving home and kind of simulate a home. But at the same time, we recognize that that we're not a home in most uh, nurturing and purest sense. So we seek to to place kids with adoptive families if they don't have any um, surviving birth family that can care for them. Um, we do our best to to support families as well. And uh, so because of that, because we are placement focused, though we can only house maybe 75 to 100 kids at a time, and though we've been around for, as I mentioned, just over 40 years, we have been able to help over a thousand kids kind of over the lifetime of our ministry. And it's, it's just been uh, amazing. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to see, to be with the children every day and to, to just love on them and see their growth, see them really thriving um, even during this global pandemic that all of us are in. 
Roberto Atienza is joining us today from the Children's Shelter of Cebu. And as we've mentioned as well, also they have the school there, the Cebu Children of Hope School. The first thing that comes to my mind is how many kids are we talking about that are on the streets? And if you are not there to help them, what does their life look like? There are, I would say, millions of kids um, living on the streets here in Cebu. And I, I don't mean to make that, that's not an exaggeration. There, there literally are uh, millions of kids. I don't have the exact percentage number on me, unfortunately, but a large, large number of Filipinos live in, um, in extreme poverty here in the Philippines. So that's, you know, that's less than a few dollars a day that folks here are living on. And over half of those folks that are living in extreme poverty in the Philippines are children. Um, children, like I mentioned before, have been uh, orphaned or uh, abandoned on, on the streets for one reason or another. So the need is, it can feel overwhelming and kind of uh, endless at times, but that, that doesn't deter us from, from trying our best to, to help as many folks as we can. Tell me about the life that these kids live while they are under your care. I think the best way uh, for me to do that is just to share kind of a brief story. Of course, I won't use any names or any identifying um, features or anything, but this story is actually very common of most of the kids that come to the shelter. So one of the things we do for all of the children um, is, is have a birthday for them. And it sounds kind of simple. I mean, we're used to having birthday parties and uh, and everything like that. But uh, most of these kids, like I said, they, they not felt the uh, the loving care of of an adult in their lives. They've, they've never had a birthday party. They've never had anyone kind of just celebrate them. And I mentioned already the kind of the level of poverty, the degree of, of poverty that we have here in the Philippines. One child, many of the, the children and many of the families live in dump sites in the Philippines. And, and some of you and some of your viewers may be familiar with images like this on TV, you know, just gigantic areas where the city's garbage is taken. And it's very common for families and children to go there to, to scavenge for food, for scraps, uh, in order to survive. So remember, these, these kids, they're not thinking of what game they're going to play tomorrow or what, what homework assignments they have. When you're living on the streets, you're just thinking of survival. So one of these, these children, what they would do is, again, they would gather scraps to try to make maybe 50 cents to, to a dollar a day. And it's also not uncommon to grab scrap food from fast food places like McDonald's or, or Jollibee and kind of try to recook it into something that's edible. And so uh, one of these children, when, when they're at the shelter, uh, they just had you know, a simple birthday cake and, and uh, a birthday party, and, and they were just so happy. And they told one of our workers that you know, this, is, this is the first time they've ever had uh, a birthday party of their own. And it's, it was just one of those things, such a simple statement, but it can, it can just hit you you know, right, right in the, right in the heart, and make you teary-eyed to realize that here's this wonderful, wonderful child. It's not as though they're saying, "I've never received a birthday gift" or "never received the gift of this nice." They've just never even had a chance to pause in their lives and consider that it was their birthday. And so, yeah, that's that's the just the snapshot of the situation that many of our our kids come from. And I know from having researched your organization, that it's important to you and to the organization to provide a holistic type care. And 
these include, uh, I, we've already talked about education and food and care, but talk to me a little bit about the approach that the Children's Shelter of Cebu has to provide this comprehensive care, also keeping in mind that the long-term objective is to get them placed into families, I understand. Correct. Yeah. So it, it starts in the home. So we do have four homes actually at our shelter. Each home has a pair of house parents, a husband and wife couple that are there caring for the kids. And so the, the holistic care, again, starts with home setting, just providing them someplace safe where they feel protected and, and nurtured, a nice, warm and safe bed to sleep in at night. Because again, most of these kids were just sleeping on the ground or they were lucky perhaps on a piece of cardboard or, or something softer than just the, the concrete beneath them. So it starts there, but we also uh, provide medical care. So we do have uh, some nursing staff, but we also partner with doctors and and uh, clinics around Cebu City to provide the children with the medical care that they need. And we also have uh, a couple of counselors on staff. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is all of the children that come to us have experienced some form of trauma. So I mentioned, you know, poverty and living on the streets, but it, it's much more than that. It's exposure to drug use, abuse of, of various kinds, and just the feeling of, of neglect, of, you know, not having anyone caring for them. So there's always trauma there. And again, we, we want to care for children holistically. So it's not just about surviving, but it is about uh, thriving and allowing a child to, to work through uh, the trauma that they've experienced because we are placement focused and kids aren't with us long term, we, we seek to work with kids to, uh, you know, get them to a place where they would kind of divulge trauma that's happened to them. And that's so that we can address it while they're with us. And then we can also prepare the families that they're placed with and kind of hopefully get them set up to where they can work through that trauma throughout a child's life as well. And, you know, that also kind of even makes its way into our, our school as well, the Cebu Children of Hope School. So again, that seeks to meet the child's academic needs, which are often very unique. They're not um, the, the typical academic needs you would have of a child because these children hadn't, haven't been to school before. But even our teachers have certain levels of trauma-informed care or a trauma-informed school so that they can properly address those things and recognize them. And it helps them as well, even in their and how they provide education. You know, if, if you and I are in school and there's maybe a kid acting out, uh, not paying attention in class or, or pulling on another kid's hair, you know, we might just think that we might just our first instinct would be just to tell the kids to settle down and, um, you know, pay attention. But knowing that our kids come from trauma, it just kind of helps us have the, the proper perspective. It gives the teachers the proper perspective. So if we see certain actions, we know to inform counselors and house parents as well, so we can address that. So it is a very kind of time-intensive, um, work-intensive thing, but it, it is a very worthwhile thing to us to really, to just love on these kids and, and set them up for a beautiful future and, and give them hope. You know, you, you'd mentioned hope a few times, and it is in the name of our, our school and, and a lot of the things that we do because that, that is the one thing we, we do hope to give all of our kids as well. You know, again, when you're just kind of fighting for survival, there isn't much that you're hoping for except for, you know, where's the next meal going to come from? Or where am I going to sleep tonight? There's a typhoon coming, you know, where am I going to find shelter? I mean, it's just, 
it's touching to me when when we're talking to the kids uh, after they've been us for just a little while and suddenly their their perspective changes and instead of just hoping to have food and hoping to have safety and love they can start hoping for their own future you know i i hope to be a policeman or or a teacher or a basketball player you know <laughs> anything like that and that's that's what we hope to to provide to all of our kids. I love the pictures you're showing here, by the way. <laughs> well, they're they're great pictures, and if you are joining us with either the YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram version of the program, you get to see these pictures. And if you are listening on the radio or you're listening to the audio podcast, I would just encourage you to catch up as well with the video version. Pop over to YouTube or Instagram, Facebook, something like that. And these pictures are worth a thousand words, as they say. Tell us, Roberto, and by the way, my guest is Roberto Atienza, and he's the field director at Children's Shelter of Cebu. And also there at, on site on campus, they have the Cebu Children of Hope School. Fantastic work they're doing. Roberto, tell me where this organization got its start and why. Sure. I would mentioned a couple of individuals before, Paul and Marlis Healy. They are kind of our, our co-founders. Uh, and back in the late 70s, I believe it was 1978 or 79, and I, I feel terrible now if I've got the, the year wrong, but uh, Marlis Healy came here to the Philippines with her father. Uh, her father is a pastor from uh, Minnesota. They're, they're all from Minnesota. And there was uh, kind of a big gathering here, kind of a big um, evangelistic push in the Philippines. And she had accompanied her father on one of these trips. And the thing that stood out to her, she was just a, a young college kid at the time. What stood out to her was just kind of the beauty of the place. But at the same time, just the tremendous number of folks and specifically children living on the streets. And if, if you were to visit Cebu or the Philippines, you would see that too. Um, you know, I think there, there's been a lot of development and construction over the, the past recent years, and the Philippines really is booming. So I would dare say that it's actually easier to ignore some of that nowadays. You could just kind of go from airport to hotel to resort along the highway and not see any of this. But if you were to just go on any of the side streets, you would see the same thing that she saw 40 years ago a lot of folks in need. So when she had returned from her trip with her father to the Philippines, she was in Minnesota and just had a heart to do something about it. She wanted to do something about um, the kids just, just living on the streets, uh, living from not even day to day, but kind of hour to hour. Uh, got together with some of her friends. One of them was Paul Healy. They eventually got married. Uh, long story short, they, they came to the Philippines with, um, they were able to, to raise some funds. They came here and started renting a house and found a social worker and started doing everything they could to care for kids. Um, over the years, the, the program has, has grown, has found supporters, folks who are willing to build some, some homes for us. So previously, there were just multiple homes that we were renting throughout the city, which uh, which was working, but was, of course, difficult to, uh, you know, especially if there were kids' doctor's appointments and, and things we had to do. Uh, so eventually there were homes that were built on site. Uh, I mentioned before that there was that, that need to catch up our kids academically. So for our elementary school kids, eventually we were able to build a school that meets their specific needs. And 
now it's 41 years later, we've been able to help, you know, nearly a thousand kids about, um, just over 600 of those kids have been placed, uh, for uh, adoption with families uh, all around the world. So here in the Philippines, uh, as well as countries all around the world, uh, United States, Canada, Italy, uh, Belgium, places like that. And, yeah, it's just been uh, it's been amazing seeing the transformation that that many of these kids go through, and it's a blessing to be able to, to serve here. Roberto, the families that you seek to place these children in, you know, you guys are taking care of these kids, you're getting them off the street, and you're helping them, and sort of giving them a, a brand new start, a hopeful start, a reset, and to give them hope and some things they've never had, some very basic things like a birthday party birthday cake, things like that, that uh, mean the world to them because they know what it's like to not have those things. So you guys are caring for these kids and you're seeking to get them into families. The families that you are looking for, where do they mostly come from? Are they outside the Philippines? Are they in the Philippines? What are the guidelines? And tell me a little bit about that process. Well, we seek to place kids with families. The, the placement process is all handled by government agencies like the Department of Social Welfare and Development here in the Philippines and the Intercountry Adoption Board. So they're kind of the primary deciding factor on, on which families these kids are, are placed on. We have some input in, into the process, but, you know, we, we, we care for the kids here. And essentially, if our kids are placed with families uh, locally, um, meaning here in Cebu and in the surrounding provinces, uh, we also place kids nationally here in the Philippines, and many of our children are also placed internationally. So for, uh, for a family who, who seeks to adopt, you know, typically the process for them, for example, if they're in the United States, they would, they would connect with an adoption agency in the States, and that, um, that adoption agency would kind of walk them through the process. And this is just really distilling the process down into um, as brief a description as possible because there are a lot of steps there's a lot of paperwork but the adoption agency in the u.s would help that family with all of those paperworks and and the home study and all the process that goes into that essentially once the family has been uh, approved to adopt a child then their dossier gets sent to places like like the philippines to the intercountry adoption board here uh, on our end what we do is we we again we prepare the kids for um for placement, if that's the track that that is that is best for them, you know, again, if if we've exhausted efforts to kind of reunite them with existing birth family, and, and that's, that is assuming they have an existing birth family, so if that's the track that's best for them, we'll we we kind of prepare them and send their dossier up to the intercountry adoption board, and then a, a matching will take place. Usually, what happens is they'll, they'll send us a few families, maybe five to seven families, so we can provide our input on which, which one we feel, our, our social workers and counselors feel would do best with the child because we, we know the child and we've been with them. We'll usually provide our, our top three and then um, the government will choose which, which uh, family the child will be placed with. And this might be too much information, but there certainly are exceptions. Uh, one thing that's unique to this Children's Shelter of Cebu is we do care for a lot of kids that that other um, NGOs, other agencies might not be able to, to care for. And the type of children I'm referring to are ones that belong to large sibling groups. 
or children with, with disabilities or, or different, you know, cognitive delay, different, different types of needs. So because of that, many of the children we take in are, are a little harder to, to place. You know, most children around the world that are adopted, if you were to look at the statistics, most of them are below the age of six if they're adopted internationally. But we have very many kids that are, that are over the age of six. In fact, we have many teenagers now. There are uh, 19 kids in high school at the shelter. And the reason for that is because the, uh, the landscape of adoption around the world has, has kind of changed, not just around the world, but here in the Philippines too. There, there isn't the same um, push for adoption that there might've been you know, 10 or 20 years ago. So even though we are placement focused, there've been many kids that have ended up being with us long-term uh, so uh, circling back to what I was talking about before, what that means is uh, we do have many kids on something called the special home finding list. And that's children, again, at the Intercountry Adoption Board or the Department of Social Welfare and Development that they, uh, because they have certain disabilities or because they are uh, older, they're on this special home finding list, which in some ways is, it's intended to kind of streamline the adoption process. But uh, yeah, yeah. whether or not it does, it still just kind of depends on, on different factors. You mentioned that the adoption process has changed a lot. Uh, the biggest difference, say, between now and 10 or 20 years ago is what? Well, I think just the, uh, there's just maybe been a cultural shift uh, around the world, um, kind of away from, from adoption. Um, I think what had happened was there were just a, a few, well, unfortunately, there were quite a few bad situations that happened around the world. Stories of uh, children who were not treated properly, you know, stories of, of trafficking or, you know, stories of families um, in, in the West who would take children from places like Russia or, or South America and, you know, were not properly prepared by their adoption agency. And so the kids ended up having to be returned to their home country, which is you know, devastating to a child and, and very much harms their development. So I think culturally there was just kind of a, a shift away from that. Some of those stories discouraged a lot of folks from, from pursuing adoption. Here in the Philippines, the, the struggles that we have, there's, there's been a historical kind of stigma towards adoption and foster care. In, in the Philippines and in Filipino culture, which is why so many of our children have been placed uh, overseas. It's kind of a newer thing, I would say, here here in the Philippines. So, yeah, those, those are the things that have contributed, I would say. There's, you know, the cost to adopt is also very high. So it's not, it's not something that, that everyone can just do. It takes a lot of, it takes a huge monetary investment as well in the West if you wanted to adopt a child. I'd mentioned already the home studies and things that families have to go through when they want to adopt a child. So while there is help out there, uh, I know some employers in the U.S. provide assistance to their employees if they want to adopt a child, assistance both in terms of time off and also with some monetary assistance. So so there there is a bit of that, but you know, not enough to kind of shift shift the tide, so to speak. This is The Edge of Adventure, and we are talking today with Roberto Atienza, the field director at the Children's Shelter of Cebu, and as we've mentioned previously, also the school that they have there, the Cebu Children of Hope School. And that word hope 
finds its way back in there and such a such an important word the ability to give hope and something we all need all of us and then this, certainly as you think about a a child who has suffered and who has gone without and who has experienced some sort of trauma that word hope is such an important word Roberto, let's shift now slightly and talk a little bit about your story. You personally, I can tell by talking to you, you have a passion and a love for this work and for these kids and for the city of Cebu and and the people that live there and the kids that are there, many of whom are suffering. And then, you know, you work so hard to get them into your care at the facility there. Let's talk about your history. What drew you to this organization and what's a little bit about your background? Sure. Well, uh, I am Filipino. I was born here in, in the Philippines, but not here in Cebu, north of here in uh, Batangas, Taal Batangas. So you might have heard of a, a volcano that erupted last year, right at the start of 2020. That, that volcano is the Taal volcano, very close to uh, the home where I was born. So I was born here, immigrated with my family uh, to California during my formative years. Yeah, I'm, I'm married now, have four kids. So when I was living in the States, um, when I was in college, I uh, came to faith in Christ. And uh, as I grew into an adult, I pursued ministry and was pastoring a church in Minnesota, a Filipino church. So it, it was populated mostly by Filipino immigrants. We also had a lot of Karen refugees, um, refugees from um, refugee camps in Thailand, but originally from from Myanmar. So while I was serving at that church in, in Minnesota, our youth group, there was a period of time where most of our youth group was children who were adopted from the Philippines. So there's actually a pretty large population of adopted kids in Minnesota. And so that's how I first actually came to know about the children's shelter of Cebu. When I was ministering to these um, young kids in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, hearing their stories, um, and I was able to kind of then minister to children on on that side of, of the whole process, children who were with their families, who were adopted anywhere from very young childhood to um, their teenage years, and, and hearing about their their struggle as kind of third culture uh, individuals. And I think that really, you know, that really resonated with me as, as one who was born here in the Philippines and then moved to the U.S. I've always kind of felt like a, a third culture type of person, you know, neither, neither and both Filipino and American. So, uh, but I've always had a heart for, a heart for my kababayans, my fellow countrymen. So I've always wanted to uh, kind of come back here and, and make a difference. And so when the opportunity arose to, uh, to serve here at the Children's Shelter of Cebu, it was very clear that, that I should. <laughs> so um, I, I first started serving as a U.S. board member for the Children's Shelter of Cebu, kind of providing some of my expertise and experience, again, as a third culture person and as someone who was ministering to kids who were adopted from the Philippines, living in the U.S. And then uh, eventually I moved here, actually moved here uh, almost two years ago now with my family to serve and, and lead the ministry here in Cebu in person. So uh, that's that's where we've been since. 
So let me ask you now a, a bit of a philosophical question, okay? So you're saying then that a person might have a unique upbringing. They might feel different than those around them. They might feel like maybe they don't really belong here fully, and then maybe they don't really fully belong over here. And it can be a special challenge, right? So you, you've got this uniqueness, and those around you don't fully understand it, right? They don't fully understand your uniqueness, whatever fully made you who you are. So now let's talk about that and how that uniqueness can then be used for a remarkable, wonderful, unique purpose. It's, it's one of those things, um, when I was living in the United States, yeah, this might be a little more, more philosophical than, <laughs> than it's intended to be, but, you know, living there, hanging out with, with other Americans, when, when I'm, or someone like me, or when I am hanging out with, with folks who are Americans, it's, it's very clear to them that I'm not, um, you know, someone could just look at me and say, Hey, you're, you're not really quite American. And then, but coming back here to the Philippines, because I'd spent so many years in America, Filipinos will kind of have the same reaction. Like, Oh, you're not, you're not really quite fully Filipino. And you know what that can do to a person, which a third culture person, meaning someone who is living in or growing up in a culture other than the one that they came from, you know, what that can do to a person is, is really make them feel very, kind of marginalized you know you don't belong to any group you're kind of perpetually in this this other category uh, but at the same time what that that forced me to do was really reach a point where I no longer had to find my identity in um, my Americanness or my my Filipino-ness I just kind of am who I am you know I'm exactly how God made me and I'm living my life the way that God wants me to live my life and that may sound, again, may sound just very simple or kind of, you know, logical, but it, it's a very hard point. It was a hard, it was difficult for me to, to reach that point. What I had found, what my wife and I had found, as we were serving in that church in Minnesota, was that a lot of people felt the same way we did. You know, uh, immigrants who were just newly arrived in the United States faced those same challenges, refugees especially, we're facing those same same hurdles, um, perhaps even to a greater degree, because many of the, the refugees we were working with, they didn't have a home country, so to speak. Their their home country either didn't exist anymore, um, or the the governing power in their home country was seeking to systematically eradicate them as a people, so they didn't have a place to go to. And now, serving here in Cebu. Um, that's the thing that I, I hope to impart to the children that we care for. Again, speaking of the holistic care that we want to provide to our kids, children who, who grow up without parents and children who are placed with um, other families, uh, families that are not their birth family for, for whatever reason, whether their parents passed away, uh, whether they were abandoned by, by their biological parents, or even surrendered by their biological parents. The message that I, I try to impart to, to our kids is the kids at the shelter is that that, that isn't, um, nor should it ever be what, 
defines you completely as a person. You know, your circumstances do not define you. Uh, like for me, the fact that I was born in the Philippines, moved to the U.S., and then moved back, that's, that's part of who I am, but it doesn't define completely who I am. For the kids at, at CSC, what I hope to impart to them and what all of us that work at CSC hope to impart to them is that they will always have people here at, at the Children's Shelter of Cebu and at the Cebu Children of Hope School that, that love them and, and see them as, as far more than just the sum of their circumstances, but see them for exactly who they are, the person that God made them to be with, with a beautiful future that, you know, that to a great extent they can take control of now. You know, we, our prayer is that we give them the, the hope and equip them with the, the skills and opportunity to succeed in life, whether their path takes them to adoption here in the Philippines or adoption in another country, whether that path has them, you know, growing up here and, and uh, being launched into adulthood in the Philippines recognizing that the trauma of their past isn't um, what defines them. It did happen, yes, and it helped shape them into what they are, but it's not going to be uh, the thing that that is completely defining who they are. So I hope that makes sense. It's <laughs> It does, and Roberto Atienza is our guest today here on The Edge of Adventure. My name is Adam Asher. If you're just joining us, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. You might be listening on the radio. You might be catching the audio podcast or the video version of the podcast over on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, that sort of thing. But however you're joining us, it was just an honor to have you with us. And we appreciate your your time and your interest. And I know that many of you will be reaching out to Roberto and reaching out to the Children's Shelter of Cebu. And I would encourage you to do that. I mean, if you in some way feel called to help them and what they're doing, Reach out, let them know. You can do that by going to their website, sabushelter.org, sabushelter.org. And that's a great place to start. Send them a note. Even if you're not in a position to give right now or you're not in a position to support in some way, what I'd love for you to do is reach out and just encourage them. Let them know that you appreciate what they're doing and that you, you know that it is not without sacrifice, right? Roberto, his family, and all the, the people that come together. There's sacrifice involved here. He's not going to tell you. He's not going to tell you that, but but I know that uh, it's the case. So encourage them. Let them know that you appreciate who they are and what they do. And we're really only scratching the surface. I mean, we've been talking for quite a while. We're getting toward the end of the program here, but there's so much, there's so much here. They're doing such wonderful work. What we've learned today is really just scratching the surface to that. It's just, just the beginning of understanding the difference that they're making. Roberto, I'm going to ask you this question, though. Where does your hope come from? My hope comes from the Lord. Um, that, that may sound cheesy or uh, however it sounds. It's absolutely true. You know, there, there have been so many things we've seen here um, since moving here. So many stories we've heard since serving at, at CSC, so many things we've experienced personally, even in our own lives, my wife and I and our kids. Uh, but my, my hope rests in, in the Lord alone. Um, there are many times where the, the task here seems completely overwhelming and just so daunting. Um, you know, I'd mentioned the, the sheer number of, of children that are perhaps living on the streets here in, in Cebu and in the Philippines. But, uh, you know, beyond that, um, 
it can be really easy to to find yourself in the midst of, of work like this and feel discouraged and, and wonder if um, if what you're doing will make uh, a difference in in the lives of these kids or their families. But uh, you know, my hope in the Lord tells me that it will, and the eyes and, and smiles and um, the laughter of the kids that, that we do care for tells me that that it will make a difference as well. So that's where that's where my hope lies. And thank you again for, for the kind words and encouragement and everything you've you've said. Roberto, as we wrap up the show, though, uh, what would be your words of encouragement or your admonition to the listening audience? I don't even it can be anything. I'm not fishing for a particular answer here. What do you want to share uh, with the audience as we wrap up the show? Well, there was that tagline that, that every child deserves a family. Um, I guess my admonition would be to uh, to care for and love love your families wherever you are. And if you have any room in your heart to spare, care and love for a child or anyone, someone who who hasn't experienced that that love. Uh, I do have a strong belief, uh, a strong um, faith and understanding that that uh, God created families for a purpose so that we could have a unique kind of, of love um, to help us live through this life. Uh, so certainly love, love your families. And um, if you can uh, adopt or support a child, please inquire as to the process, wherever you are, whatever country you're tuning in from, reach out to us here. If you have questions of, uh, about what we're doing, more questions about what we're doing, please feel free to, to reach out. Please do. And you can do that by reaching out to or via sabushelter.org. That's sabushelter.org. It's the Children's Shelter of Cebu and also the Cebu Children of Hope School there in the Philippines. Roberto Atienza has been my guest today. He's the field director there for them, and he does a fantastic job. And you can tell by listening to his uh, stories and just the way he conveys this message that he loves these kids and these families so very much. And uh, Roberto, um, you know what? We're all unique. I'm thankful for your uniqueness. I'm thankful for the journey that the Lord has brought you on or brought you through because I, I can tell by looking at this, just this, what, almost an hour that we've spent talking that you were prepared in a very special way for this day, for this task. And I know that you, you take comfort in that, but uh, just rest assured, the, those of us on this side of the camera and this side of the interview, we can see it too, and we're thankful for it. So God bless you, Roberto. I appreciate your God time. Bless. God bless you and the fa- your wife and the kids and everybody that works there at the Children's Shelter of Cebu. Thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. God bless. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag theedgeofadventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure, where we go beyond status quo. Beyond status quo.